Welcome to this season six premiere of Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska. I'm Rob Prince, Associate Professor in the Communication and Journalism Department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And I'm not sure what I'm more struck by, the fact that we've made it to our sixth season or how weird this season is going to be. Thanks to COVID, of course, we won't have any live events this year. On the plus side, I also won't have to swallow any more swords or do any more hostile interviews with ornery goats, so that's nice. That's an inside joke for those of you who actually come to our live events. Anyway, we've got a few stories for you today from happier times. Remember February 2020? Yeah, me neither. But I do recall we had a live event with some pretty hilarious stories, and I've personally handpicked two of them for you today. And they both feature ice operating in very different ways. Sometimes it's an adhesive, and sometimes it's lubricant. It just depends on the circumstances. Our first story involves what has to be the oddest request of a perfect stranger I've ever heard in my life. The very first thing I hear coming from this dark figure in the fog is, Quick! Come pee on my hands! And our second storyteller goes for an impromptu skate in his boat with hundreds of pounds of fish on board, all of which have names. I put all 50 horses into action. Wah! Here we go. And bring, we, we smash into that shore fast ice and, and it breaks out, it breaks out, it breaks out, and then we slide on top of the ice with like 800 pounds of boat. Ice. Ice, baby. Up next on Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska. Our first storyteller originally shared this story at a small storytelling event we did in January 2020 at the Black Rapids Lodge a few hours southeast of Fairbanks. The Dark Winter Nights team loved this story so much that we decided to move him up to the major leagues, so to speak. Tom Bockert shared this story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. My story starts about 10 years ago. I've been in Alaska, well, 40 years now. My uh, adventurous wife decided that she would actually say yes and move up here with me. So we live at this time... Ten years ago, uh, in sort of the east end of uh, Fairbanks proper, near Fort Wainwright um, area. And it was a very cold, dark winter night, as they always are. And it had been for several days now, and I was sitting around in the living room with my wife and two dogs, Duke and Jezebel, their labs, and I was just kind of pacing because it had been cooped up so long, and you know, decided okay, it's time to, we got to get out. So I stood up, as soon as I stand up, my dogs, they just jump up. They were always ready to go. And uh, started putting all my gear on, the 30, 40 layers of clothes to stay warm, and a hat, fur hat, and everything. Got the harness on the dogs, and uh, we ventured out into the night through the neighborhood. We, we live maybe a half mile from the river. We're walking down through the, the subdivision there. And the ice fog is just incredibly thick. It's like, looks like a funeral shroud over the entire subdivision. Houses are just kind of glowing and everything, but it was nice just to get out. 
Well, as the last stretch before we get to the river is a trail along the back side of the public gardens there. I'm walking along there, and all of a sudden the dogs start alerting, you know, and I'm looking around. I can't see anything. It's just total ice fog and darkness. And I'm like, what's going on? And I, I begin to worry a little bit because I knew there was a weak spot in the river there, and I thought, is something or somebody falling into the river through the ice there? Well, I keep going along, and pretty soon I can sort of see this dark figure hunched over. It was on land, which was kind of a relief. I says, oh, okay. Is this somebody else crazy out walking tonight or something? I get a little bit closer, and the very first thing I hear coming from this dark figure in the fog is, quick, come pee on my hands. <laughs> I'm like... What? <laughs> no idea what's going on, you know. But I get a little bit closer. Finally, I get up close, and I see that there's this other man all drink, bundled up, too, and he's got a husky dog with him that has decided it would be a good idea to lick this metal fence post. And the dog is just frozen right up to the post. And he's hanging on to the dog, trying to keep him from pulling away and ripping off like half his tongue or whatever. And I get up there, just quick, quick, pee on my hand so I can get this tongue unfrozen. <laughs> well... Well, needless to say, with, you know, all my winter gear on, uh, 1,800 layers, plus being cold anyway, there was no way in the world I was going to be able to monster up that, you know? <laughs> so I thought quick. I says, there's a house over there, just maybe a quarter mile away. I see lights on over there. I'll run over there, and I'll get some warm water. I'll be right back. Just hang on to your dog. So he hangs on to his dog, and... I take off through the, the snow and the ice fog and come upon this really nice house sitting right on the river. Uh, it looked like there was a light on, so I walk up to the door and I knock on the door. And a minute or two later, all of a sudden the door kind of cracks open and this nice young lady is standing there. And there I am, I'm covered in frost and my lips are so cold in, that they kind of felt like you know, cucumbers on my mouth or something. But I managed to spit out the words, I, I need some warm water. There's a guy's dog stuck on a pole. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure this lady probably thought I was an inebriate or something, you know. <laughs> she just click closes the door. <laughs> so I'm left standing there. I'm like, well, now what do I do? Pretty soon, all of a sudden, I hear footsteps. Door opens. The lady opens up the door, hands me a red solo cup. You know, they got to be a solo cup, and they got to be red, I guess. <laughs> and it's got warm water. And she just hands it out to me and gives it to me, <laughs> closes the door and leaves. <laughs> so now I got this solo cup of wa warm water, and it's steaming away. You know, I thought about it would be fun to throw it up in the air and watch it vaporize. <laughs> but... Uh, Instead, I go trudging through the snow, trying to keep it from spelling and everything else. And I get over to where the guy is, and I pour the warm water on the dog's tongue. 
And sure enough, it comes unfrozen right away. And being a husky, it just takes off, starts playing in the snow like <laughs> nothing happened, you know. <laughs> so the guy, he just kind of looks at me. I think he was embarrassed. We didn't really know what to say. <laughs> he got his dog and went on off. And I gathered up mine and headed on home with Solo Cup in my pocket, you know. <laughs> and I got home and I got to tell my beautiful wife, well, it was kind of a strange walk tonight. <laughs> First of all, you never know what you're going to get asked to do up here in Fairbanks. <laughs> and second of all, Fairbanksans, even if you look rather questionable, usually will try to help you. And uh, <laughs> that's why I love this town. Thank you. Tom Bacher. He shared that story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. This is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Ice, Ice Baby episode. I'm Rob Prince. Life in the Alaskan bush is just nuts. There's no other way I can think to describe it. Life and death decisions have to be made in a heartbeat, and it's easy to find yourself in what appears to be an impossible situation. Yet the people who tough it out out there have an incredible way of, shall we say, skating by some serious problems. And our next storyteller is a great example of that. Andrew George shared this story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. October 4th, 2018 was one of those bluebird sky days that makes a person really want to be outside. And I happen to be in the village of Circle, Alaska, which is about 160 miles northeast of here the terminus of the Steese Highway. It was once called the Paris of the North. It was replete with, uh, had the finest hotels for the time period, and, but now it's a very small village. And I was there with my eight-year-old foster son, Chief, and our mission there was, I uh, had my boat there and my family traps about 60 miles upriver from Circle. And so we needed to get supplies from Circle to where we trapped, and that's a nice time of year to do it. It's, you know, the river's ice-free, and it's, it's beautiful. We had beautiful weather, and I brought Chief along because he's, uh, he's from Fort Yukon and is a consummate young woodsman, and uh, we share a lot of the same respect for the outdoors, and so I wanted him to come along and uh, foster that good experience uh, together. So um, the weather stayed calm and clear and beautiful for several days, couple days. It was cold. We made our way upriver. Everything was good. And we got up there. We did a little bit exploring the next day. And it got a little colder. That was the sixth. We went upriver a little further. And we noticed the first ice pans coming down the river. And I thought, you know, that time year, 4th of October, you probably got at least a couple weeks before you're going to see the first ice flowing in the Yukon. And I was wrong. I was really wrong. <laughs> so uh, the first ice pans are coming down river, and we still have lots to accomplish. We have fall fishing to do. You've got to throw a 60-foot-long gill net out there and catch fish for the dog team. Uh, lots of stuff that we wanted to get accomplished. But seeing that first, those first pans of ice come down river made me think, and I thought, ah, some cloud cover will come in, and it'll warm up probably, and we'll have another week or two at least. Uh, it didn't warm up, and it got a little colder. 
the next day we threw our net in and there was there was some pretty big ice flows coming down still plenty of water I wasn't too concerned yet but that was just one day it changed pretty dramatically and then the eighth we went down to check our net in the morning and it was full of ice and uh, I thought oh, I better pull the net for sure and actually start thinking about getting back to circle and I had made commitments in town so unfortunately I did need to get back I thought you know I was gonna have a couple weeks there but um, you know, conditions dictate otherwise in the bush so uh, I, I, I saw the ice coming down and we pulled that net and it was pretty dodgy just getting back from that one eddy upriver to where the camp was and I thought we better just pull the plug so I told Chief let's get ready to go in the morning and we, we caught 104 chums and one silver so I knew I had to, was going to have a heavy boat on the way back and uh, so I, I slept kind of fitfully that night, needless to say. And I think right, yeah, right before that, I had shoved the boat out into the water that night because I knew that the river's dropping and there's going to be some shelf ice in the morning probably, but it'll probably warm up and there's still plenty of water. So I went to bed, slept for maybe six hours, got up dark and early, looked at the thermometer, two degrees and uh, and so I know that on the river down lower it's gonna be what I just read in a book below the nothing mark which we all know well <laughs> and it was it was well below zero on the river and uh, I couldn't see anything but I could hear uh, amazing sounds and it was just this <laughs> the rivers got a lot of ice in it but I can't see how much and the daylight starts to break, and I, I, uh, I, I see that the river has more ice than water. In fact, there was no water. It was a moving ice pans, and they're all grinding together. And, and I, I'm down at the boat, and I, I'm able to actually walk out around the backside of my boat. The boat is totally frozen in ice. And... Uh, so in the bush, you know, you got to just deal with the situation at hand. And so I got to work and I knew I needed to build a big fire there and uh, started heating water up so I could, I could put it on the transom and the lower unit, which has the water pump in it that I knew was frozen now and hopefully everything was going to work. So, and I took the ice chisel and chisel out around the entire perimeter of the boat. And I'm, yeah, I'm stepping on, I don't know, it's probably three inches thick ice. It's fine to step on all the way around the backside. Finally get that all chiseled out. Water on the lower unit. It's, it's getting heated up. I finally get it started. Well, this, you know, hours and hours have passed since then. Chief is patiently waiting there, helping out where he can, keeping feeding the fire. And our partners who are there are trying to help as best they can, but it's already midday by then. And, uh, and so I know I'm getting a late start, and I'm figuring, I'm just doing a little math in my head, like, okay, I got a huge boatload of fish, and I got 60 miles to go to circle, and I probably will just be able to put the boat in gear, and uh, I, you know, it's gonna be eight hours on the river, so it's gonna be dark when I get down towards circle. But I'm ready, so Chief jumps in the boat, I jump in the boat, and uh, 
our partners are standing holding the bow line and I got the motor running and everything's good and I say all right cast off and they throw that line into the boat and that was not a very good feeling because it was like the umbilical cord just got cut and I we start drifting out and slowly they're the people the only people that you see your friends and sense of companionship they drifting away and I'm alone on the river with chief and a boatload of frozen fish and uh, yeah it was not a good feeling at all but I also felt somewhat confident in knowing that in the boat all the time I have what I call my possibilities bag and that's a that's a term from the old Mountain West the mountain men used to have their possibilities bag and it had the very simple basics they had some jerky and some water maybe their axe in there and my possibilities bag isn't all that different today so I had what I felt that I needed you know I could camp out if I needed but uh, no big deal and chief had his possibilities bag but I think it had more Legos in it than other important things so so we're drifting downstream and uh, I think he's he's naming the fish and he's got Dick and Jane and I think we came up with uh, the best ugliest dirtiest looking chum salmon we named odiferous so that was a good one so we're going downstream and I'm pretty on edge but looking out ahead and I can see you know the 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 ice is is forming around the boat too I'm able to make a little bit of headway but just like at idle speed and about 10 minutes downstream there's this there's an area called woodchopper and that's it's known to be pretty windy in that section of river and I can sure enough it's calm when we leave but I sh I can see this plume of dust blowing off a sandbar and uh, we get closer and closer and it's apparent that it's going to get really gnarly in just a minute uh, and so we we come to this stretch of river and I say chief just get down in the boat <laughs> get as low as you can everything's okay and <laughs> And we get blasted, just all of a sudden you could just just feel this wind and wind-driven silt, and I can't see anything all of a sudden. Uh, it was really scary. I couldn't see the bow of the boat. I didn't know which way was, I couldn't orient myself. I was just at the mercy of the wind for a while and the current and the ice. Uh, and that seemed like, ages but it probably was about 10 minutes until we came into the lee side of a big bluff and the wind abated and it was calm again we came out of it and chief looks around and looks at me and yep we're okay everything's good <laughs> and we continue floating downstream and the ice um, it just keeps building up you know and so occasionally i've got my axe out and chiseling away at the ice that's building up on the boat um, the the boat is uh, it's worthy but it's old it's 1971 um, low line aluminum riveted well mostly riveted <laughs> it, so it's kind of leaky but it's getting us where we need to go and it's gotten us lots of places so I had faith in the boat we keep going downstream downstream and like most eight-year-olds will um, chief said well, he has a unique way of speaking but he said are we there or almost? <laughs> I said, well, 
neither, but uh, we're getting closer. <laughs> and so, okay, yep, look at Bob, and look at this, he's naming his fish, and everything's okay for him. Keep going downstream, you know, hours pass, chief asked the same question 20 times, and it's getting dark, and there's a point where, you know, the river's now, it's really shadowed, and I'm looking up as far as I can, and I see what I think is my worst fear, that the ice has jammed up, like it stopped. And, and I, I'm pretty terrified, because I'm pretty sure that's what I'm seeing. There's a, big, there's a stretch of river that's fast moving, takes a big chevron around to the right, and it looks like it's jammed right there. And I've never been in that situation before, thankfully, so I, I don't know what to do. I do start moving towards shore, but there's all this shore fast ice. Uh, and as we get closer to this spot, uh, my mind is reeling like, okay, what do I do first here? You know, if the ice is really jammed up and I can't get over to the shore, what's gonna happen to the boat? I don't know. Is the boat going to get crushed in there? Are we going to get just locked into the middle where y you can't walk out onto that ice yet? You're just stuck in the middle of the current. And how do you get out of that? I don't know. I'm thinking of helicopter rescues by that point. And, uh, so, uh, and Chief is still all good, you know, and, and, and he, I think he asked that same question. Are we there almost, right, when I saw this, what I think is an ice jam? I, and I said, we may be almost there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just uh, please be quiet for a minute because I really have to concentrate here. And so he was great and quiet. And I get closer and I see that the pack is still moving. <laughs> what a relief. So... We keep going. We get through it, and it's, then it's getting dark. And I figured at least maybe I've got a, I don't know, a couple more hours in the dark, but I know that stretch of river, and as long as it doesn't jam, we're going to get to circle. There's a slough that leads into circle on the, on the left side, the local vernacular's first slough. It's not really a slough. It's a channel of river, so there's still moving water, but it's, there's a lot less current in there. I find first slew, finally. I got my light up there. I could see first slew. We enter first slew, and it's about a mile more winding through there. I see the landing. The landing in circle is not like the China boat ramps here. It's a mud slide. And, uh, of course, everybody and their brother had pulled out their boats in circle the days previous. And so that, of course, all the dripping water creates this ice rink. And uh, so I can see there's just this glaze of ice bank. But more troubling is that um, I see all this shore fast ice. And there's, there's 250 feet of shore fast ice. Uh, you know, the, the pans grade along the edge of the shore fast ice, and it, it builds up and builds up. And I don't know how thick it is, but also when you're in a boat and you're you know, it seems like it takes ages to get where you're going, and when you finally get to the, your location, it seems like things speed up. Like, now I, got, I need action right away here, and I gotta get, I gotta get over to shore. But I, there's 250 feet of ice, and I can't go by Circle, because the next village is Fort Yukon, it's way out in the Yukon Flats. Uh, I gotta get over somehow. 
So I'm, I'm in idle at that point, and I can see the ramp coming up, coming up. I got to make a decision. So I turn our old low line, and I think, I hope, an icebreaker. I've got the prop up as far up as it can go out of the water, and I put all 50 horses into action. <laughs> Here we go. Ring! We, we smash into that shore fast ice, and, and it breaks out, it breaks out, it breaks out, and then we slide on top of the ice with like 800 pounds of boat. And we're sliding right towards the ramp. And, and, and it's like, it's silent. Like I've cut the motor and and, and then maybe 50 feet out, 30 feet out, we're pretty close. The boat stops and, and settles, settles into the water, which was a great relief. I thought, all right, I'm not moving anymore. And I, I can see the ramp, I'm right there. But the ice is, it's plenty thick. I get out and I can walk around on it. And so the next thing I gotta do is get my, my ax out. Chief's got his little ax out, he's helping out. We're breaking ice, breaking ice, breaking ice. Paddle forward one stroke. Breaking ice, breaking ice, breaking ice. Paddle forward another stroke. So that takes hours to go 50 feet. When we get there and it's the middle of the night now and um, I have to go find my truck and get, the, get, get it backed up on this ice ramp. Well, that's not gonna work because it's just a skating ramp, so skating rink. So I take, I take uh, I got a shovel and I, I make two big paths, just tire width wide all the way down and a hope and a prayer and put it in a reverse and start sliding a little bit and break and slide and and then the trailer hits the shelf ice and there's about a three and a half foot drop go groove crunch and and it stops so i we managed like hours go by and rope along and finally get it onto the trailer and oh we we have made it thankfully and the truck makes it up the ramp, and it's, I don't know, the wee hours of the morning, and we, uh, we go to our partner's place that's in circle and crash. Oh, exhausted, thankfully, we made it. And uh, the next, that night was super cold, too, and I thought, man, that river's gonna, it's gonna lock up somewhere tonight. And the, there's a slough across from my friend's house, and if you've heard the ice in, in that time of year, if it's a cold night, it's the, it's the wildest sound. Sometimes it's a rifle shot, crack, <laughs> and you can hear it for miles. And other times it's this really weird, eerie, <laughs> so all night it's doing that, and I'm waking up in the middle of the night, I'm not in the boat, I'm not in the boat. It's all good, everything's good. The chief has passed out, everything's good. We made it. So. Uh, so make the drive back to town and uh, get in and I tell, tell my wife, uh, we had a hairy boat ride, but we're back and everything's good. And turns out to maybe a week, yeah, I talked to the, my partners, uh, it was a month later, and it warmed up and um, <laughs> all that ice went away. <laughs> I, I, I'm still at a loss. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of ice. The river's three quarters of a mile wide, and there's this much shore fast ice, 250 feet on the other side, all gone. 
Actually, friends in Tanana said, you know, for the first time we saw, we saw ice coming down the north bank of the Yukon. We'd never seen that before. I said, I know right where that came from. I was, I was right in that ice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, whatever road that we're all on, you know, physically or metaphorically, you could say, keep your possibilities bag with you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Andrew George. He shared that story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. Thanks so much for listening to this season six premiere of Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska, the Ice, Ice Baby episode. Today's episode was edited by myself, Rob Prince, story consultation by Lori Neufeld, storyteller audio recording by John Huff of Alaska Universal Productions. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince. <laughs> <laughs>